Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody. It's Monday night, and that means it's another edition of The Bachelorette. But before we get to The Bachelorette, you have to sit through the next hour of Soap Talk, and that's why we're all here. So we're going to be talking couples tonight, including some of the biggest couples on television right now, Julian and Alexis, uh, Hillary and Devon from The Young and the Restless, a whole bunch of them. If you've got opinions you want to share about your favorite couples, whether you love them or love to hate them, now is the time. So give me a call at 714-868-0749 because we're talking couples tonight. Another week, another show, and another week that I forget that I now have to do the intro before the music starts. I keep thinking, why is the show not starting? Why is the music not playing? And I forget it's because I now have it set up that I, like, you know, say a couple lines and then hit play, and then the music starts. But thanks for being here. Thanks for sticking through the uh, the ridiculousness that is my technical difficulties. FYI, on that level, I am actually working on um, – I'm probably going to be moving the show to a new platform in the next couple of weeks, something where it won't sound like we're all hanging out in an empty room with – two tin cans, and a piece of string connecting them, something that will be a little higher quality. So fingers crossed, we'll see how that all works out. Meanwhile, if you want to join the show, uh, give a call to 714-868-0749. Again, 714-868-0749. And once you do, you'll be prompted to hit, uh, I believe, the number one, although someone can correct me if I'm wrong, and uh, that'll tell me that you're in the queue and we'll bring you on the show. As always, we can talk about anything and everything you guys like, but I like to go into the show with a topic, and sometimes we stay on it, sometimes we stray away from it. It really depends on what people want to talk about. But I've been thinking a lot over the last few days, over the last couple of weeks, really, about sort of modern supercouples. And some people question the use of the word supercouples with the various pairings that we're talking about right now, but... Um, for, for the context that we're talking about, I'm talking about um, pairings that are really popular, that have very um, big and, more importantly, very vocal fan bases. In some cases, fan bases are more vocal than they are large. You know, doesn't in this day and age where you can have multiple social media accounts? Trust me, as you guys know, I have more than one. Uh, it's it's easy to make a smaller group seem larger than it is. 
Um, and that does sometimes happen. You know, fan bases want to make their their voices heard. They want to make sure that they're taken seriously, and so they, they inflate their numbers. But, but what we're talking about tonight are couples that um, are – have very strong what we call single single couple shipper followings, meaning um, people who really love these couples, see them strongly, and kind of sometimes only see the show through that perspective. And if you happen to say something against that couple, they don't take it very well because they they don't necessarily hear the entire conversation you're having. They read you know the tweet that, you're, that you've sent or um, the thought. You know, for example. Um, I, I had a great conversation last week with Ashley, a fan of the Young and the Restless's Hillary and Devon, and I think she probably came into it thinking that I like hate this couple because I I talk on social media a lot about this couple and how I think they're being mishandled, same as I do with Julie and Alexis on General Hospital. And it's not that I do not like these pairings; it's not that I don't think these are great couples. It's that at certain story points, they're they're for me not being sold correctly. For example, Julian and Alexis, which I've been talking to a lot of people on social media about today. Um, it is not that I do not like the idea of Julian and Alexis. I think Nancy Lee Gron and William DeVry have fantastic chemistry. I think they're great. Unfortunately, the writers decided to go down a certain avenue wherein Julian did things that we as viewers saw, and for many of us, myself included, I can't get past them without, if, for me, if Alexis takes Julian back at this point, she comes off as very weak and, and allowing an abusive man back into not only her life, but the life of her family. Is there a way you can sell me on their reunion? Of course there is. Um, I have, over time, come to love couples that I never thought I could like. I really was against the idea of pairing Franco and Liz. I thought there was no way that, that this was, um, given his complicated history and her own personal history as a survivor of rape, I did not think that I could accept this couple. But I've really come to not only accept them, I love them. Uh, Julian and Alexis can win me back. Here's one of the things that I like to that I wanted to talk to you about tonight, though. Um, and I'm hoping that if you have thoughts on this, you'll call in and share them. For me, um, I can't help but wonder if one of the problems that we get into with super couples um, is that a portion of the fan base refuses to see them separated, whether it's temporary or long-term. For example, look at Sonny and Carly. Sonny and Carly have been married five times. Now, to me, I'm a little torn on whether they should be together or not because I, I feel like a, on a soap opera, that kind of repetitive storytelling can be damaging, you know, because you're basically playing the same beats over and over again. Whereas if you separate them and put them in new stories, give them new love interests. For example, I kind of was into the Carly Franco stuff more than I thought I would be. I loved Sonny with that lawyer who was on a few weeks ago, um, a few months ago, really at this point. It doesn't mean that they can't come back together eventually, but I'm big on giving time and, and making a storyline that makes you want them come together. For example, um, I've, I've been saying for a while now that I would love to see General Hospital do a story where we had Sonny and Julian team up, both determined to win back the love of their, their, the, the loves of their lives and put their, make their families safe. Forgive me, for some reason I'm not speaking very well this evening. I don't know why. Um, but 
but this is a story that I think would compel me to say, okay, they are making a big epic gesture. They're making, you know, this grand romantic gesture. I want the loves of love of my life back, and this is what I, this is how far I'm willing to go in order to get it, Carly or Alexis back. Um, I think those are big stories with big consequences, and I think the fact that you know you had a story in which Julian held a knife to Alexis's throat. We saw him have visions of of trying to drown her, things like that. You need something big to overcome that. It's not impossible and it can be done, but at this point they have not done it. They have done nothing that makes me say, yeah, I'm ready for Alexis to forgive Julian because she would look weak in my eyes at that point. Um, We've got some callers on the line, so we're going to start taking calls and uh, explore this a little bit deeper. Again, if you want to join the conversation, give me a call at 714-868-0749. We're going to start off with our first caller tonight is calling from the 218 area code. If you think that's you, say hello. Hello, Richard. Hey, who's this? This is Sharon. Hey, Sharon, how are you tonight? I'm good tonight. I saw some of your discussion today on Twitter about uh, Julian and Alexis, and I agree with you in a lot of what you were saying. Um, I can love a super couple, and they don't even have to be together. It's just the chemistry between them. Uh, Like you were mentioning about Carly and Sonny, my preference for Carly and Sonny is when they are not together. They are better apart. I don't know how to say this the right way. They're together but better apart when they're going at each other and they're almost combative and they're they're fighting against each other. That, to me, has more emotion and more drama in it than when they're together as a couple married. Does that make sense? It does to me. And, you know, to me, the reason that that makes sense to me is at this point we've seen, you know, we've spent years exploring the Connie, the Sonny and the Carly relationship. You know, we've gone through three Carlys, multiple years, um, and I have no problem with Sonny and Carly as a couple. In fact, I love them. I think Laura Wright and Maurice Bernard have amazing chemistry. In all of these couples we're talking about, whether it's Michelle Morgan and Brighton James from The Young and the Restless or Crystal Khalil and uh, Daniel Goddard from The Young and the Restless who play Lily and Kane, all of these couples, the actors clearly have amazing chemistry, and that is what the audience connects with. But for me, one of the things you can do with couples who have great chemistry is separate them and they are still interesting. I, you know, you can have a whole year go by where Sonny and Carly are divorced, they're separate, they're living separate lives, but that doesn't mean that they're over. It means they're over for now. Maybe they get together again a year from now. Maybe when they, you know, maybe you put them in a situation where they've both moved on, they're both happy in other relationships, and yet they sort of find themselves drawn to each other. And of course, they're going to naturally be drawn to each other because they have children, so they have reasons to be together. They have, you know, Jason and Sam are their best friends. There are reasons for them to be in each other's lives. And, you know, sometimes exes accidentally hook up and that sets off a whole new chain of events because you've got them in new places and yet drawn to the old. I love stories like that. And to me, that's a little more interesting than just 
keeping them in each other's orbit and endlessly breaking them up and putting them back together, breaking them up and putting them back together. Morgan's death was a huge, huge event, and it, it, it propelled a big story, and it drove them apart. And, and part of that was Carly, you know, kind of finally coming to the realization that she couldn't accept the violence in Sonny's life. Uh, and, and that's been a recurring thing over the last few months. I'll be interested to see now, as we saw in today's episode, Sonny said to Carly, you know, I realize what's been going on. I realize the mistakes I've made. I'm going to get out of the life. This is interesting to me on a couple of levels because this is him saying to Carly, I hear you, I understand, and I'm going to make changes. But, of course, it's also the two big questions. How does he get out? It certainly won't be easy. And once he is out, what does he do? Frankly, that one line, Carly saying to Sonny, I'm, you know, I want out of the mob uh, or I'm going to try and get out of the mob, that, that really reinvested me in Carly and Sonny's story because I can't wait to see how that plays out. It's, it's different. Yes, he's tried to leave the mob before. Yes, we've played that beat before. But let's face it, there are a few beats on any soap that haven't been played before. It's all about <laughs> how do you reinvent it and how do you play it differently. You know what I mean? I, I do. The, the thing that I find dis- disappointing more than anything, and like you've said, they, we have seen Carly and Sonny apart and together and apart and together over and over and over again. My disappointment is in this turn Carly has taken as far as all of a sudden she isn't the Carly that we knew five years ago. I mean, I liked the Carly that Jason had to calm down, that she always jumped before she thought about it, that she didn't count to ten, that she wanted heads to roll. That was the Carly I found intriguing and interesting. And the Carly we're, that, that I'm seeing now is just kind of, eh, okay, here she is again. It's, it's not that's, as exciting to me. That's interesting to me. It's, it, it's funny because, you know, I talk to a lot of soap fans. We have on the ABC account, we have something like, I don't know, 90, 95,000 followers. And, and I read or at least try to read every single tweet we get. I don't always respond to everything, but I, but I do read everything we get plus the people that call every week on the show. And it's so funny because no matter what you look at, soap fans have generally two points of view. In this case, I hear two different things about Carly. One is, this is not the Carly of five years ago. And I've heard that from other people. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a different type of Carly than we've seen in the past. The other is people get frustrated when the characters don't change, when they don't learn anything. And those are two sort of mutually exclusive things because either she can be the Carly from five years ago who did all, you know, who behaved the way you talked about, or she has learned things in the years since and she's a different person. I kind of feel like for me personally, this Carly is partly that Carly she still does very impulsive things, like, for example, jumping in bed with Jax, which was a really bad decision on her part. That was very impulsive and a very bad decision. I'm glad she did it because I really – I love the Sunny Jax-Carly dynamic. <laughs> yes. So, so it was a bad decision, but I was into it. But at the same time, she's also changed in that, you know, finally – and I've wanted this from Carly for a long time – she is a little bit more of a mother. She takes into account more – her children and how her life and how her decisions are impacting her children. I loved the scene last week where Joss went off on her mom and was like, if you're going to get together with Sunny again, 
I don't even know what to say to you because you've made this mistake over and over again. In some ways, that was, you know, it was like Joss was speaking for parts of the audience. So I kind of get it. I feel like, I feel like I agree with both things. I agree that it's not the same Carly that we had five years ago, but I'm, but I'm kind of okay with that because we still get traces of that with the new and improved Carly. Well, and it all depends on, on a person's viewpoint and preference because we we see the same show every day, but we see it a million different ways. Oh, 100%. And, and that's one of the things that, yeah. you know, um, it, it's it's interesting because I deal with so many people. And so, for example, when I'm talking about uh, Alexis and Julian, you know, there are people who understand what I'm saying when I say I don't want them together. It's not that I'm saying I don't want them together right. It's not that I don't want them together ever. I have liked them in the past and together in the future. I don't see right now that the writers have given me what I would need to throw my support behind them again. And, you know, and there's also the case of 80% of my timeline today really does not like Michael and Nell for whatever reason, whether they, you know, they just, they just don't like them for some reason. And that happens a lot. Not every, not every couple is a hit, but there is the other part of my timeline that loves them. And it's kind of fun sitting back and watching my timeline as I'm talking about things, if I say, you know, that was a good Nell and Michael scene and I get half the audience saying, oh my God, I hate them. And the other half saying, yeah, I really love them. (laughs) And the same thing happens with Julian and Alexis. The same thing happens with Carly and Sonny. And what tends to happen with fan groups is uh, they, they very often only interact with each other. You know, so like, like, for example, I was talking to someone on Twitter earlier today who was a, a Lily Kane fan. And, you know, I, I think I, I was talking about the Lily Kane story on The Young and the Restless and how I, I'm, um, I think that Kane might have, like, this habitual problem of lying. He does it for the right reasons, but when he does it, it always has bad consequences and he really hasn't learned his lesson to just not lie. Well, and I had this, this very, very, you know, devout Lily Kane fan. I mean, you know, you can always tell the – because they have like their, their, their picture is of Lily and Kane and everything they talk about is about Lily and Kane. And I don't just mean with Lily and Kane. It can be with Julian and Alexis, Carly, Sonny. These are the ones who are most likely, the people who are you know, really, really into them and very strongly devoted to them are the ones who are going to most often take issues with the things I say. And this particular person was not pleased with me. And, and you know, instead of sort of giving me the chance to explain my point of view, they immediately go to, oh, you have an agenda. And I don't have an agenda. I don't ship couples. I ship storylines. I like some storylines. I don't like some storylines. You like things that I don't like, and I like things that you don't like. That's the nature of the beast. We're not all going to watch a show that has, you know, 40 characters and 10 different storylines and all like the same thing. And that's okay. It's okay. I don't care if you like what I like. I'm going to try and convince you, you know, that, that, that here's how I see it. And you're going to try and convince me. But that doesn't mean either of us is wrong. And that's sort of the thing that I both love and don't love about soap Twitter. Is it's really hard to have actual discussions in 150 characters at a time. You know what oh, I mean? Very true. So let me ask you, what do you deem a super couple? What is your definition, or how does a supercouple work for you? Well, it's, you know, in the, in the sense that I was using it today, I was using it a little more loosely as really basically very, very popular couples with, very, with, with big fan 
followings. Um, you know, in my mind, the classic super couples are, you know, Luke and Laura from General Hospital, Nikki and Victor from The Young and the Restless, um, you know, characters like that. But it's a very flexible term. I mean, we, uh, the magazine, uh, several years ago, we did what we called the super couple smackdown, where each week we pitted two couples against each other to see who would come out at the end of the day. I ran, went on for like 20 weeks to find out, almost like the NBA, was it, was it the, the final four in basketball, you know, that whole thing, March Madness. Oh, we did a similar uh, thing yeah. with brackets, and we pitted them all against each other. And we oh, weren't I remember just including, that. Right, and we weren't just including, like, the big couples like Luke and Laura. We included more modern couples like Liz and Lucky, Liz and Jason, uh, Jason and Sam. You know, we, 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 we sort of expanded the term. But I think in the classic sense, the super couples are, you know, the Luke and Laura's, the the maybe Todd and Blair from One Life to Live, um, Greg and Jenny from One Life to Live, from All My Children. Although it's interesting because, do you count Greg and Jenny since they were really only together for like two or three years? You know, that wasn't like some decades long story, and yet they're one of the most recognizable couples in All My Children history. Cliff and Nina, same thing. You know, their story really didn't unfold over a huge amount of time, but I still think that in some, depending on your definition of the word, I think they could be considered a super couple. But are there more recent developed super couples? The ones you're all mentioning were 30 years ago. Oh, definitely. Well, that's, that's what I was talking about earlier is, you know, I think I think that based on their popularity and the – you know the, the the fan base that they have. I think couples like Julian and Alexis are are can be considered a modern super couple. I think um, I think Lily and Kane definitely definitely a modern super couple. I mean, and again, I'm really basing that more on the way the audience sees them than on any um, you know like list of criteria because I don't know that there is some set criteria for what really makes a super couple. Um, I think it's very I think it's very subjective, you know. I think I think there right. are probably people out there who think there are probably people out there who think like I don't know Nathan and and Amy are a super couple. Okay, there's probably not, but there could be. I don't know, <laughs> you know. Ouch. And it, it, it's very, you know, I okay Nathan and Amy. Let me t- let me just tell you this story that they're telling with Man Landers. Had Amy been introduced in a way – Amy was introduced, and this is a problem that General Hospital's had for a long time. They introduced characters in sort of stereotyped manners. For example, you go all the way back to Sabrina, and Sabrina was introduced as a Disney princess. And so it made it really hard to believe that this girl who was acting like an 18-year-old was a good match for Patrick, who was a long-established neurosurgeon. It just didn't work. And they eventually figured it out, and they they figured out you know how to use Teresa Castillo better in this role. But – General Hospital, for a long time, went through a period where they were introducing characters who were more caricatures than they were characters. Amy was one of those. Amy was introduced as sort of this annoying – they wanted her to be like the original Amy, who was, you know, kind of loved, but she was a little gossipy and she was a little annoying. But she was also – she was Laura's sister, so we had a natural connection to her. Amy, this Amy was not introduced that way. Risa Dorkin is such an appealing actress, and she's such a sweet person. And, and, and I wish they had let her show more of that on air, because I think then, if we hadn't had this like year of built-in animosity toward Amy because she was nothing but a gossipy troublemaker, if we had seen other sides to her at the time, I think the Man Landers story would have worked better. 
But, of course, what happened was Kirsten Storms took an unexpected leave of absence. Suddenly you have, you have Nathan on the canvas with, you know, no story. What are you going to do with him? And so they whipped up the Man Landers story as, you know, as sort of something to do with him until she comes back. And, and unfortunately, because of the way Amy was introduced and written for the last year, it didn't work. But I think it could have been, I really think there could have been something really fun there. I, had Amy been introduced more like Marcy on One Life to Live, who was a really popular character and a similar type in some ways, I think, I think this, this Nathan Maxie story, or this Nathan Amy story could have been, you know, far more, more successful and popular than it's turning out to be. But that's just my take. Oh, again, I, I agree. I agree with with that. The introduction of some of the characters is flawed from the beginning, and it doesn't give us a chance to like the person or the, the character before they become annoyed with it. And, but my question to you is: Do you? think in any way that when when a couple comes in or when two characters come in and they have the good chemistry that it's the fans reaction to it that helps develop that quote super couple uh image or and do the writers then bend to that and focus on that to develop that superdom or well for to me, that's one of the problems with super coupledom is once you have a super couple, you know, once you have a Lillian Kane or a uh, Julian and Alexis or a couple like this, you have to decide how much you're going to trust your own story and how much you're going to trust the audience and how much the audience will, will follow what you decide to do. You know, the, the Julian and Alexis fans, they love this couple. And there are many of them who are very willing to be like, eh, yeah, he held a knife to her throat, big deal. Their chemistry is amazing. To me, I feel like if you put Julian and Alexis together at this point, you are cheating. You are saying, well, it's a soap opera, which is the excuse I hate more than anything. I hate when people use that as a soap, you know, as, as an excuse. Like, well, it's a soap. It's a cop-out. That to me says that it's a cop-out, and it says to me, the audience will accept anything we tell them. The audience is dumb, and I, I really don't like that. But um, when they made the decision to take Alexis and Julian to this dark place, they made a very conscious decision. And they were like, you know, at some point, at some level, they had to be saying one of two things. Either we are going to use this to take these couple, this couple in a different direction and, you know, pair them with other people or whatever, or we believe that we can take them to this very bad place and the audience, we can still bring them back. Because when they find out that Olivia was behind it all, they'll forgive. And for some of the audience, that worked. For some of the audience, it didn't. For me, I'm in the side that it didn't. I think, you know, that once you do something like that, you're crossing a line. And, and it, it, to me, it feels like cheating the audience to just say, well, you know, we, made the, we're, we did this thing, and now we're, we know that you love this couple enough and that they have enough chemistry that you're going to forgive it. For me, you better earn it. You don't just get it. You have to earn the audience throwing their support behind Pre- it. But that's, but that's the thing with super couples is for much of the audience, they the writers don't have to earn it. For much of the audience, and they're the, they're the, they're the, you know, the really strong shippers, they don't care. As long as their couple is together, story be damned. 
They don't care if a story makes sense. They don't care if – like if I was an Alexis and Julian fan, which I, which I was, it, 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 for me, putting Alexis back with Julian makes her weak. And I don't, want, I don't want to see this character that I love, who I think is a strong, good role model. I don't want to see her be weak. So you need to you need to before you can put them back together, you need to write it in such a way that I want to see them back together and that I believe that he has earned her back, that he has earned not only her trust but mine. Because otherwise, you know, you're doing that thing where you're like, It's a soap opera and you know, the audience will go where we tell them to go. I'm not I'm not real big on that. Well, and it puts me to the point where I'm no longer invested because it's just not something that is acceptable. As far as you're right in, in what you're saying, once you cross that line, you're going to have to work like the devil to get back. And just expecting the audience to forgive and forget isn't something that I'm willing to do as a viewer. I want to see the, the hard work put in. I want to see the investment. And that that's part of the thing I'm disappointed in right now is that there is so much not only in Julian and Alexis but in couples that we don't see any investment in what they're doing Um, there was a comment uh, I I saw it on Twitter today regarding some discussion from Billy Flynn on days Mm -hmm. and he made he made a comment that there was no investment, and I'm paraphrasing, in family anymore as far as just the family issues that go on. And that's what I miss about GH. I mean, there's a perfect example right now in that there is there are family issues going on in a number of couples right now, but the one that I notice so strongly is Dante and Lulu. They have a big issue that's been going on for quite some time, dealing with Charlotte and Valentine and what he did to their family and all this relationship. And we've gotten zip as far as viewpoint from them and discussing how it affects them or what they, they're going to be dealing with. And, and that is, to me, what soaps were all about. 20 and 30 years ago, we got that in-depth conversations, the feelings, the emotions, and we don't get any of that anymore. It's almost like it has to be a daily cliffhanger. You have to be uh, well, it does. It does. Head with it, it does. Without, without any doubt, it does, because today's audience does not have the patience. Now, now uh, keep in mind, you know, you and I and, and many of my listeners, we are of an age group that the, that the advertisers do not care about. So there's this endless battle to get the young viewers because that is, who, that is the demographic that the, that the advertisers want. And for them, they have short attention spans. They do not want to sit and listen to a, a, an, an episode-long conversation. They want action. They want, you know, big things. Um, but to unpack a little bit of the Dante Lulu stuff, there's a lot of stuff there to unpack. One of them is that Valentine is another of those characters who we were talking about earlier who was really badly introduced. Valentine was introduced to us, and I'm not talking about back when they first told us about him, you know, when they said that he was like right. this big bad who was so scary that Helena was afraid of him and all that. I'm talking about when they introduced him on the show. He immediately came on the show, held everyone hostage, shot Kevin, and killed Nicholas. And yet 
a few short weeks later, we're supposed to accept him as a leading man, as a, as a, as a romantic lead. Now, here's the thing. J, J, James Patrick Stewart is an amazing actress, and he has, uh, actor, and he has killer chemistry with Michelle Stafford. I love Julian – I mean, I love uh, Valentine and Nina. But I struggle with it because, yet again, this is a character who the show over and over and over again makes characters who are lead characters do really dark, bad things and then just ignores it. There is no punishment. There is no, you know, whether it's Sonny or Julian or Jason or, or Valentine. We keep introducing these dark characters and we keep having them do really bad things that they get away with. And I'm a big believer that in this day and age, we need to see good people. We need to see, you know, we need to see some light. We need to see some humor. We need to see families. We need to see good overcoming evil. And if General Hospital in particular has become a show where there are no consequences to bad actions. I mean, there are short-term consequences, you know, but there's no long-term consequences. People, uh, the all of our lead characters for the most part have badly damaged moral compasses. And those who don't, don't get story. Dante and Lulu get no story unless they're being victimized. You know, whether it's Brit, Brit stealing yeah. their egg or, or Valentine, you know, having their daughter and they have to fight for her. We don't see, this is not told from Dante and Lulu's point of view because Dante and Lulu are good people and we don't have room on the canvas right now for good people. It's, it's people with dark, histories and who do bad things who get the storylines and that's that's to me you know that's a little bit problematic i want to see i mean i love that we're seeing kevin and laura and spencer that feels real to me these are people that i like and they're and they're they're in a story that i like they're about to do something that i really don't like and we'll talk about that in a week or so but 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 for right now, I love seeing these these three characters because they feel like oh, this is real soap opera to me. This is not just bad people running around doing bad things. This is not just it's Tuesday. Let's break out a gun and shoot somebody. These are real people <laughs> who I have real issues with, and it's a storyline that does not revolve around violence, which so much of this show does. So you know that's I agree. Well, I I think Dante and Lulu I'm are not- you know they're related to. The biggest, some of the biggest characters on the canvas. Exactly, and yet we that's, don't get that's any my issue. They're related to two of the central families in the entire Port Charles. There should be a second generation going on here, with a lot more interest than what it's been, which is really disappointing to me. And I wonder if a lot of the what you were mentioning, the, the, the lack of family, the lack of something good happening is why a lot of the interest in the show has been waning. And that's disappointing, too. I'm a big believer that, um, you know, I, I read a blog by the amazing Danny Horn, who um, going to be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks. He writes a blog called the Dark Shadows Every Day blog. Um, and he basically watches an episode of the classic soap opera Dark Shadows every day. And, it's in, and, and he sort of points out why the show got very, very popular and then why once it reached its height, it sort of fell off very quickly. And it only, it only ended up running for like four years. And one of the things he talks about is that at a certain point it became plot point theater. And it was an endless series of plot points where you were just moving characters around and having plots happen to them, but you weren't playing the emotional beats. And without the emotional beats, it's 
sort of like, you know, it's like potato chips. You can eat a bag of them, but you're still going to want an actual meal. And the meal in soap exactly. operas is the relationships. It's the, it's the, you know, the loving family relationships. Um, you know, traditionally soap operas have been, um, there's a family, there's a family or two families, usually two families, one rich, one poor in classic soaps at the core. And, Outside influences come in, bad people come in who are temporary and they have an impact and we see, and we see our family overcome them. Now, you know, if you look at the, 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 the majority of the main characters on General Hospital and certainly the ones who get the most story, they are bad people and, and they have done very, very bad things. And, you know, it's easy to say, you know, Sonny's a good mobster or Julian's a mobster with a heart of gold or Valentin killed somebody, but, you know, he's cute. But... After a while, that that mentality sort of that mentality really does sink in, where you you sort of forget that these are people who among them have killed like you know I don't know twenty people you know who who've just like done all these horrible horrible things, and and the fact is that the the good people in town, the Nathans and the and the and the the uh, Dantes and Lulus, they get completely backburnered because there's just nothing interesting for them to do because they're not bad people. Well, and the saddest part of what I see, and I, I watch it every day from beginning to end, is that they, there is so much talent within the actors on that show, and they're letting so much talent just sit there stagnant. And to me, that's just unconscionable. General they Hospital need to has use no, these people. General Hospital has one, you know, and I think this is true of actually most of the soaps. Soap actors are amazing, and they're so talented, and they work so hard, and are so underappreciated. The General Hospital has an amazing cast. I mean, top to bottom, it is flawless. The problem with the General Hospital cast is that it's too freaking big. And so, yeah. you know, and so because of that, stories and characters disappear for, for, for ages. You know, like they just completely go missing. And it's hard to invest in, you know, if, if you're not giving us those characters on a regular basis, even in even in background roles, at least having them on on the show. You know, Young and the Restless has a show is a show with a very big cast, but they tend to play their characters. You know, they tend to to at least have background stories going on, even if they're not in a front burner story. Whereas, Jesus right, days of our really lives, do you that can... very well. You may not like all the stories going on, but you can be pretty much guaranteed on a weekly basis you are going to see a rotation of pretty much every actor at one time or another. Right, and which you know, I still appreciate. Geez, somebody in the chat room, somebody in the chat room is just pointing out, you know, the the what I call the Matt Cohen problem. Matt Cohen is hot. He's a good actor. He was brought in, what, like, I don't even know how long ago, ages ago, and he has had nothing to nothing. do. He has been a periphery character. Yeah, he got to be. He, was, he, he turned out to be, you know, um, Claudette's ex-lover. That played for, like, a hot minute. He got to be Charlotte's dad for about three episodes. He had a brief time when it looked like they might put him in the Liz Franco story. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he's Anna's confidant, Anna's confidant but, but he's had, for as long as he's been on this show, he's had no story and no discernible love interest and that to me is I don't even understand that how do you have a Matt Cohen on your canvas and not use him that's that's insane to me yeah that's the stuff I'm going to I'm going to let you go so that you can talk to somebody else I just have one question for you 
Okay. Did you get a recipe for your French fries? <laughs> I did, and I'm going to try it out as soon as the show is okay. over. I'm going to be trying it out, and we'll That's see good. how it goes. Okay. <laughs> All right. You have Thanks a for nice calling, Karen. All right. We're going to move on down again if you want to join the conversation. It's 714-868-0749. And our next caller on the phone is the very patient, because they've been holding for quite a while, 204. 204, you're on the air. Hey, Al from Canada. How are you? Al from Canada, how are you? Good, good. I'm going to try to just keep this to five, ten minutes. I've got three, um, I'll just go through days and all that, but just with the super couples and anything else, I can just talk to you in a couple of weeks. Um, lead the way. Okay. Lead the way. You always, you always inspire good conversation, so I'll lead the way. Okay, no problem. Um, what do you think about Emma and Spencer being a super couple, even though they're really super young and just growing into it if those two actors just stay on the show for the next 20 years? Who are we talking about? Emma and Spencer from GH. Emma and Spencer? Emma. Oh, Emma. Emma. <laughs> I was like, Emma and Spencer, that's twisted. <laughs> um, I mean... Are they a super couple? No. Could they if they stayed on the show for years and years? Yes. Um, I think, you know, I think it's what I'd really rather see right now if we're going to talk about young characters is, you know, we have a young cast on this show that is not being used. We have Christina and Molly who are, you know, again, children of of the main characters on the show, and they have no storyline. We started this great little adventure with um, exploring Christina's sexual fluidity, and, you know, for a while there she had a hot boyfriend, she had she had a, a, a hot girlfriend, and then she just disappeared. And now we find out that off canvas all this time, she's been living with Amy. Like, you know, seeing Amy and Molly at home could have really helped soften viewers' take on Amy as we headed into this big story. But, you know, so so I would like to see them get actual story. I mean, like, like you know, we're playing Molly and TJ all of a sudden now because Stella's on the canvas and we want to play how it impacts Jordan and Curtis. But that's another great example of, you know, Molly, Jordan, Christina, uh, Molly, Jordan, no, Molly, Christina, and TJ are three great young characters who have so much potential and they've been completely off the canvas. We have no investment in them. And then all of a sudden the show is trotting them out because they have something they want us to invest in. And that's, that's problematic for me. Do I think that Emma and Spencer, like the problem is I think Emma and Spencer could be a really fun couple as they get into like their teens and stuff, but we're years away from that. And I would never want to see Nicholas Bechtel or Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Ray Salazar recast. Cause I love them. I think they're adorable and it would just be too jarring to suddenly have other actors play them. What did you think about a couple of years ago when it was like Cam Spencer, Emma and um, Jocelyn quadrangle? I thought it like was that. okay. I, I thought it was okay. I thought it was cute. But one of the problems I had with that whole thing was, and that was that was under Ron Carlovati's tenure. One of the things I I didn't like about that was they wrote them as little adults. They didn't write them as kids. They were they were doing they were way too mature. And I'm okay with that. Too. It, I feel like right now the way they're writing Spencer, he's mature, but he's still a kid. Like, Laura reigns him in at every turn. Laura, the, the fact that Laura, the grandmother, is, you know, is a controlling hand and doesn't let him get away with stuff, whereas before, they, they, back then, they were sort of letting Spencer be a little adult and treat adults really 
in quite heinous ways, and I didn't like that. But now I feel like we're getting the best of both worlds. We're getting that that Spencer is mature for his age, but he's still a kid, and he's still treated like a kid. Um, What do you think about, I'll just finish up with Jade, what do you think about Amy and uh, Nathan being a couple and that Amy Amy would uh, be a strong contender, uh, um, like, traversing Maxie, even though she's considered kind of slightly overweight and not physically the type of person that Nathan, you would think that they would put her with. Do you, would you want to see something like I that? Think they, I think they missed the boat entirely with Amy. I think there was a great story to be told there with this girl who, you know, has a crush on this guy who is, is super hot and she's very average. She's, you know, let's face it more of the audience looks like Amy than looks like Nathan. That's just a fact. <laughs> you know, more of the audience looks like Amy. Or you mean Amy Max, Max those... Amy. Yeah. No, I mean Amy. more of the audience looks like Amy than looks like Nathan. I mean, oh, okay. Nathan is super hot, and, and Amy is, you know, very average. I mean, I, you know, I don't mean, and I don't mean that as an insult to the actress. She was, she was you know, hired to be the other side of, you know, the, the she was hired to represent, like, sort of, normal people in the audience. And there was such a great opportunity there to do the same thing with Amy that they did with Marcy on One Life to Live, where she became one of the the most loved heroines on the show because the audience looked at her and related with her, and she had years' worth of story, great front-burner story. Um, I I feel like they could have done that with Amy. I I think the hard – the thing they're struggling with right now is – they're playing. They're basically sort of trying to play an Amy Nathan Maxi story when one of those characters is not on the canvas and hasn't been in a long time. And so, really, all you're getting is Amy Nathan, and it's it's a little bit hard to relate to. And the other part is, you know, Nathan and Maxi are one of those couples who had great story, then got married, and then had no real story. And and that's because you know GH struggles sometimes to play you know, to play couples and to play a relationship when they can instead play plot points. And that's a little bit what GH is in. And, you know, and that, that's a problem that soaps have right now is that they, they do sort of emphasize, or at least some soaps, emphasize plot over romance or relationships or characters because, you know, that's what the audience, they think the audience wants. The audience wants the short attention span theater. Now, I'm a believer right. that the audience will stick around for actual, you know, deep relationships and, 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 and romance and stuff like that. Am I right? I don't know. I mean, I guess we, we need a soap to actually try that route for us to say, oh, no, look, it went off the air. I guess they didn't want that. Or, oh, look, the audience is invested in these characters and cares about them. Uh, okay, so I'm just going to move into Dave. What do you think about Trip and Jade? Uh, becoming the next super couple in the sense that uh, Jade is manipulating. <laughs> wait, 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 uh, wait, wait, I'm going to stop you what? right there. Here is my reaction to the, uh, to the idea of Jade being part of super anything. <laughs> okay. Jade is not Jade. Again, I think they missed the boat with Jade. There was a great opportunity with Jade, but they have made Jade wildly unlikable. Nobody on the canvas likes her. And because nobody on the canvas likes her, when Trip comes in and starts bonding with her, the whole audience is like, they're like, Trip, are you an idiot? Why is the one person in town that you're listening to the person that nobody in town likes? Everybody despises this girl, and yet that's who you're going to put all your faith and trust in? It's, 
again to refer to um, Danny Horn, the author of the the the, um, the Dark Shadows blog that I read, Dark Shadows Every Day. He has a rule. He has a rule that when you're introducing a character, they need to do three things: make a friend, make a joke, and make a plot point happen. And if you do those three things, you can successfully introduce a character. Jade has never smiled. I don't think she's ever smiled in the entire time she's been on the show. She's not made a friend because nobody likes her. And while she has made plot points happen, they've been bad plot points. So I just I right. have a hard time. In, and I'll be interested to see. We all know we're heading towards July 19th, which is when Ron Carlovati's first script's there. And I'll be interested to see um, exactly what he does with these teens because – there's a rumor going around, it's been going around for a while, that when Carlovati takes over, the way they're going to explain that Will is alive, because we know Chandler Matthews is coming back, is that they're going to go back in time and say that Will has been in a coma all this. And to me, that's brilliant, because what you could do is you get a reset, you can go back you know, to right before Will was killed, and, you can, and when Will wakes up, you can say that everything we've been seeing for the last however long that's been, has been Will's interpretation of what people at his bedside are saying. So you can cherry pick the plot points that you want. You could say, you know, you could say, oh, there was never a character in Jade, named Jaden Town. That was just part of your imagination. But you can also explain why other characters aren't on the canvas. Oh, yes, you did hear somebody talk about, you know, this plot point happening, and that really did happen. It would be fascinating, and 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 I I think Carlovati would do an amazing job at that. Is that what they're going to do? I have no clue. But it's a rumor, and I like it because if if in my mind. If I was doing a reset two years, I would wipe out the teen scene. I'd be like, I, I don't know what I would do with them, send them all to college or something, but I just don't have any investment in these kids. I they, They've been on for ages now, and I have no investment in them. Okay, I'm going to skip my stuff on Weiner because I can talk to you about it later uh, in the next couple of weeks, and I got more on Jade and Trip. I have something I want to talk to you about, but uh, more in depth another time. Thanks very much, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, we're going to start wrapping up here. If you want to join the conversation, it's uh, the number is... I don't know what the number is. <laughs> I write it down and then I lost a piece of paper. It's 714-868-0749. Uh, we have a caller here on the line, and I'm not sure this might be Sharon again. 218. Is that you, Sharon? <laughs> Hi, 218. You're on the air. Oh, they're not on the air anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they uh, either they disconnected or I disconnected them, but I'm going to think that I, I, I think it might have been Sharon and that I just accidentally went back to her. Uh, anyway, so one of the things that I'm walking away from this evening with is that I'm a big believer that if you sit down and talk to people, whether you're talking about politics or you're talking about soaps, if at the end of the day you both can like you know talk things out you realize that you sort of see some things the same way. You don't see everything the same way, but you see some things the same way. And I think that's happened. It happened last week with some of the calls about Devon and Hillary. And I think it's happened a little bit this week with Julian and Alexis that, you know, it's not that I don't want Julian and Alexis. It's that I don't feel like the show has earned the right to put them back together at this point. I've uh, got another caller on the line here. We're going to go to... If I can make the button work, we're going to 760-760. You're on the air. Hi, Richard. It's Soap TLD. How are you this evening? Hi, how are you? I'm so glad you uh, called. 
Well, I've been sitting and listening to the whole show, and, um, you know, I just wanted to uh, just call in and, and uh, let's have a gander about what happened today and um, awesome. my thoughts on and that. Let me just backtrack a little bit. This this is actually, so TLD is the person who on Twitter I was talking about earlier who I was discussing um, Lillian Kane with, and mm-hmm. and so I'm really, I'm really glad you called because... Like I said, I'm a big believer that when you talk, when you people actually talk in a format outside of Twitter, they can sort of realize, okay, we're not that far apart as we think we are. So go ahead. Well, I just wanted to respond to some of the things I remember or heard you say earlier in the show. Sure. Um, the, the, gosh, I can't remember the point because I didn't write it down, but it had I, I, help me remember it. It was something about sure. how shippers get locked into um a story and they um they don't want anything oh my god not a story there's not only a story one they get locked of... no not a not a story so much as a couple you know so they get locked into a couple and and don't want to see that couple parted and and to me as you know, as a longtime soap fan and long and you know 40 year viewer or more but I don't want to admit that to me, one of the things that soaps are about is, is as a soap viewer, I'm a big believer that you can have the couples that you love, but you also have to be flexible enough to say they are at times going to be apart. They are at times going to be with other people. Um, you know, like, for example, you look at Lillian Kane. Lillian Kane have not been apart. I mean, they, they, you know, she cheated on him with Joe, I think twice. I can't remember exactly. You will know that much better than me. They've had their problems, but they have been together. They have not been with other people since they were on the show. To me, see, I that's I limited. guess it depends that's upon really I guess limited. it depends upon what people's definition of they've not been apart. Um, they have been apart. They've actually been divorced, and they were separated when the situation with Joe happened, and they were separated for quite some time. I believe the right, issue the, is, is not – hold on, Richard. I believe the issue is not necessarily that they're not separated. I believe uh, the issue is them being paired with other people. Um, I think that if right, you wish I agree. to I pair – if you wish to pair a couple with other people, then it has to make sense. It has to make sense to the people uh, that are watching in general, and it definitely has to make sense to the fans of that particular couple. I don't That's, necessarily I'm going to argue that. I'm going to argue that because the fans of the couple, almost inevitably, especially the really devoted fans that we're talking about, they will never see a circumstance in which they think those people should be with other people. They will always support the couple that is their favorite. And that's fine. I get that. But for everyone else in the audience, it's really limiting. I want to see what these actors and these characters can do if they're put in other situations, in other relationships. doesn't mean that the couple has to end. You know, they can still be the long-term rooting value. But I want to see, you know, like I want to see them actually get in relationships that are taken seriously. I wish they hadn't turned Joe Clark into, you know, whatever. He turned out to be like a, a rapist and a wife beater or whatever. He was a I wife thought, beater. I, right. I thought there was real potential there had they not gone down that line for him to be a legitimate threat to Lillian Kane. Instead, he turned out to be, you know, a joke. And, and so while she did sleep with him, it didn't really have, you know, kind of like long-term, big, lasting impact. Well, I think, I, I think overall, 
Um, I, I think that fans, and I don't, I'm not necessarily trying to speak for the Lane fandom because I couldn't even if I wanted to, but I think what people are wanting these days is for the stories to make sense. Um, oftentimes we see writers take a character and they just change their personality to suit whatever story that is going to air or is about to air, and that is incredibly frustrating. I will totally. say in this – I'm sorry? Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, I will say in this current storyline with Kane and Lily, Kane hasn't done the I'm not going to tell you the whole thing because – um, you know, I'm a, I'm going to lie by omission. He hasn't done that in years, and he they um, he had been allowed to mature through that and go on. Well, all of a sudden he's doing it again, and we don't really know why. For me, that is the biggest frustration with this current storyline. Number two, I wanted to. I thought your caller from General Hospital was making some really excellent points. Um, yeah, I she believe was great. Um, I believe that today's soap opera writers are missing the big picture and that soap operas are generational. They always have been. The way you pull in your younger viewers is when you make grandma and auntie happy because the one thing that has not changed about soap operas low these many years is how it becomes a tool for generations to connect with each other, generations sit down and watch the show and talk about it. Um, you get surprised within your family and perhaps even your friends when you find out, oh, my gosh, you watched The Young and the Restless? I love The Young and the Restless. And then they kind of get pulled in that way. Um, because the shows appear to be just driving for that younger demographic um, because because of advertising dollars, they're missing the boat, period. And when you haven't satisfied your long-term viewers, the word of mouth is certainly not going out into the community that the younger kids need to check it out. Well, okay, um, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there on two, uh, on, for two reasons. One, we now know, based on much, much research over the last few years, that doesn't really happen as much. It used to be the case that, like, I grew, I got hooked on soaps because I watched, because my mom watched General Hospital, so I watched with her, and my grandmother watched Guiding Light, so I watched with her. We do not these days see nearly as much of that, and I think that's in part because of the time shifting, because people can watch them on their own time. Like, when we were kids, you know, like, you had to watch, you know, your mom watched General Hospital at 2 o'clock because she didn't have a DVR or a VCR, so, you know, if you wanted to watch TV, you were watching that, and your mom was watching it with you. Now, like, my mom watches her soaps now when she goes to bed at night. She watches them, like, separately. So we know now that there's not as much of the, uh, you know, of the intergenerational viewing as there there was. And we don't have as much of the college thing either. It used to be when you went to college, everybody at college watched soaps. You know, you'd get together in the dorm and you'd all watch them. And we don't see that as much for a lot of different reasons. So, you know, I, I do, I think that that is a big problem that, that soaps have, you know, sort of suffered. The other thing I would say, though, is you're right about the intergenerational thing because, like, when we were kids and we were watching soaps, I didn't necessarily care about the kids that were on the show. I was into, like, Catherine Chancellor, you know? I was into Catherine mm -hmm. and Jill and Jill and Philip and all that. Um, mm -hmm. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. Um, folks, for those of you who are listening live, we're about to lose the feed. Um, so 
I want to thank you for, for listening. For those of you who are either listening via your phones or who are listening to the pre-recorded podcast, we're going to continue because I'm really glad that um, – I don't even know your name, um, so LPD called because you know this is this is this is exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to talk about. So we're going to continue having this conversation for a little bit. If you want to hear the rest of it and you're listening live, you can download the podcast later this evening. It'll go live. But um, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just I wanted no, to, that's okay. I knew we were going to cut off, and I wanted to make sure the audience wasn't like, wait, my whole computer just died. No, no, it, <laughs> no. I understand. It's, it's no a problem. planned thing. Uh, the other thing, you made another point. What was it? Um, uh, well, I don't remember. They were both really interesting. Well, I, I, I think what happens also, I think you made an excellent point about Julian and Alexis. I agree with you a thousand percent. You cannot carry one of the couple, one half of the couple, into such a dark place for goodness sakes, what he did triggered alcoholism for Alexis. Mm-hmm. And just say, oh, it was because of Olivia, and let's get back together. No. You took all that time to tear them down. An equal amount of time, if not more, needs to be invested in building them up. Would you agree so, with me that I was talking earlier to someone, uh, this was actually on Twitter, I believe, um, they said, well, you know, his sister made him do it, so what would you have done? And I said, well, actually, as a writer, what I would have done was, rather than have him try and kill Alexis, I would have had him fake an affair, you know, so that Alexis would leave him, thus taking her out of the danger zone. Because what, exactly. he, did didn't take, what he did did not take his – plus it would also have emotional impact. You know, there's a bigger yes. emotional impact. Yes. Because what he did did not take his family out of danger. Sure, it might have taken Alexis out of danger, but it had no impact on the rest of the family, you know, his other kids and Sam and Jason and all them. Whereas if 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 he allowed himself to be seen as he was – in fact, it's almost a really bold, loving gesture to fake an affair in order to let everybody in town think you're a loser and a cheater – in order to protect your family, that to me is a romantic gesture. Holding a knife to your wife's throat is not a romantic gesture. Exactly. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I agree. I think that that was just a poorly thought-out decision. Um, and it would have been more romantic for him to do something like that than to do something so potentially psychopathic and um, extremely damaging. Yes, yes. There are there are think, things that you can have a character do that are unforgivable to an audience. Absolutely. No. Let me ask you this about Lily and Kane. Going back to them for a minute, because I was a big fan. As you know, you follow me on Twitter, so you probably know this. When this story started, when when everything in Tokyo went down, and mm-hmm. they came home, and Kane wasn't one hundred percent sure if they slept together, but Juliet was like, you know, Juliet's approach was, hey, we slept together. It's no big deal. It, mm-hmm. it happened. Forget it. It's not a big deal. And Kane was so consumed with guilt. To me, that was a really interesting story because a Juliet felt like a very modern character to me. Like there, are, you know, she's you know, it's it's it's, it's 2017. People had sex and think it's not that big a deal. It's it's you know, mm-hmm. she felt very modern to me. And mm-hmm. I love the idea that Kane, at, at that point, he was feeling so guilty that, excuse me, that if it if that had been what caused problems. 
Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I drank my soda too fast. <laughs> if he, if their relationship, if he and Lily started having problems at that point, like maybe he became impotent because he was feeling so guilty about this secret that he was keeping, that mm-hmm. he would have felt more natural than did suddenly Juliet comes forward with this sexual harassment suit, which I don't understand her motivations for doing at all. Exactly. Like, it, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> exactly. I agree again with what you're saying. Um, See, there we were talk more, on the phone, we always can agree. <laughs> yes, because, I mean, it, um, then it would have been more relational, relational, correct? It would have been about yeah. the dynamics within the family. It would have been about all of those things that you just said. The sexual harassment suit doesn't make sense to me. And I believe that the storyline falls into um, what you and the young lady from General Hospital were talking about is, Gosh, y'all think I'm stupid. Right. Well, and, <laughs> you know? and, and it also it's very damaging to Kane from the from the other point of view that yes. once this sexual harassment suit came forward, it makes no sense to me that Kane didn't sit down with Lily and be like, Listen, I'm gonna have to tell you some things you're not gonna want to hear. She spent the Correct. night in my room. You know? Correct. Like like especially since and again, this is where and I think some people had some issues with me saying this earlier on Twitter, but I stand by it. Kane has a history of lying for the wrong reason, for the right reasons. He, his heart is in the right place when he does it, but it has horrible consequences, and he never learns the, from it. Well, the challenge is the the writers of this storyline drug him back. Um, earlier in our conversation, I was trying to address that, and that uh, yes, Kane did that did do that in the beginning of the relationship, and he seemed to have grown through that. Cain hasn't done anything like this in, what, maybe three, four years. So why all of a sudden has Cain, he's grown through that, and now he's doing it again? I you, know don't think- I a, you know why I can cut a little slack on that? It's sort of what I call situational ethics. Yes, he hasn't done it in several years, because he hasn't felt, you know, he hasn't been put in a situation where he needed to. In in a lot well, of situations, we you know fall what? back on behavior that you know that that we've done in the past. And so, you know, I may not have had a drink for three years. It doesn't mean I'm not still an alcoholic and I'm not still susceptible to it. Which I'm not. I'm not an alcoholic. I was using that as an excuse. <laughs> right. No, I understand. That was just an example. Well, you know what? Cain did lie. He lied for Devon and um, Hillary. Yes. When they were doing their thing. But the challenge is, as far as this present storyline goes, um, it, it, I don't know. I mean, I understand what you're saying. Um, what you're saying does make sense to me. But from where I'm sitting, Kane had kind of worked through some of that and realized that that wasn't the best thing to do. And if mm-hmm. he if he fell back to this because he panicked, because of of the gravity of of what what he thinks he did, then that's fine. It doesn't take that much room on a script to have him say that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it just doesn't. And then it makes sense, and then we all can go on. It's interesting because there are parts of this story that you know that I think didn't go the way I would have written it, and that in parts are very annoying to me. I will say, in a weird way. I, I'm enjoying this sexual harassment story more than I thought I would. There are parts of it that I absolutely hate. I hate Hillary's involvement entirely. I hate it. I just, it makes no sense to me. You know, I was, I've talked about this on Twitter 
that, you know, if we are supposed to believe, and I think we are, that, that Hillary and Devon are the end game, that, you know, that they're the couple that we're supposed to root for despite their current situations, which I'm fine with. I like that. I like when you separate couples and they're still the end, and they're still, you know, they're still the root for. But if that's true, it makes no sense that Hillary would be so active in this this hurtful act against Kane and Lily because while she may while Hillary may despise Lily, she also knows that Devon loves his sister and that he would never, ever, ever sanction anything she's doing. So it again comes off as sort of something that's more storyline dictated than actually arises from the nature of the character herself. Right. Uh, well, I think that um, Hillary's involvement is not going to do that character um, any favors. Um, I agree with you. I don't understand how if Devon and Hillary are to turn to each other again, I don't understand how Devon would wish to embrace Hillary again after right. finding out about this. It doesn't make any you know what sense. You know what would have been an interesting approach to me? If Hillary had done what she's doing on the down low, like behind everybody's back, as she was getting closer, because, you know, just out of her hatred of Lily, I mean, I, it's, it's a little unmotivated, but okay, whatever. Done it on the down low as all this was going on. And then as she and Devon were getting closer, have it come out, and suddenly it's another stumbling block between them. Because he's like, listen, we've been getting closer all this time, and you're plotting behind everybody's back to destroy my sister's marriage? What kind of down-low crap is that? You know, like, well, like that would I make think, more sense to me. Well, you know what, the, the, the magnitude of the viciousness around what Hillary is doing this time yeah. um, is, is, in my opinion, what's going to do that character in. I mean, this is not like... I don't know. I'm going to spread some salacious gossip about you on a on an on an internet site like she did when she first came to town. Sexual harassment has huge consequences. Um uh, a person's life can be completely ruined. Yeah. Uh, and and their yes, and their career. And on the flip side of it, um I don't know that the show is doing any favors by trying to make such a serious issue be taken kind of in a lackadaisical way, and it's the ladies who are making it, um, who who are who are not giving it the seriousness that most women give this topic. So that's why I think this whole thing has been ill-conceived because it's. It's like, are you, are you kind of making fun of sexual harassment? Do you? I, I what what is it you're trying that. to say about mean? sexual harassment? I'm sorry. See, I don't, I don't think I'm seeing it that way. Um, so I, you know, like I look at it and, like, I, I feel like the sexual harassment issue is. I think it's being treated in a way that we, the audience, you know. Often, often they write and, and the audience sees things from a perspective of what they know as opposed to, you know, what's actually going on in people's heads. And, and what I mean by that is we, the audience, know that the character of Kane would never sexually harass this woman. And I Correct. think that the way they're playing it on screen is that most of the characters know this as well. You know, like Victoria knows this would never happen. Lily's like... You know, my husband might, might, maybe my husband would lie. Maybe, maybe he got drunk and cheated, but he would never sexually harass someone. That's just not in his wheelhouse. So, 
I feel almost as if, like, I haven't necessarily felt that they're making light of it, but I think that they've told the story from the point of view of 90% of the canvas knows this is not something Kane would do. You know what I mean? Correct. Yes, I mean, um, I get, I, you know, and when I make those statements, I'm not thinking about Kane. I'm, I'm thinking about just the, the issue of sexual harassment in general. I wasn't even thinking about any of the characters right. who, who necessarily who've been pulled into this. But I, I, I do agree with you that everyone within Genoa City and most of the audience uh, would agree that this is something that Kane would never do. Like that, Hillary, that I, don't think I don't think Hillary, even Hillary, I don't think Hillary really believes he would do this. I think she just saw an opportunity to do this bad thing to to screw with Lily, who she hates. And, you know, it's, and I think, I think that's a little bit of an issue for me too, because if, if I thought Hillary's actions were sincere, like if I thought Hillary really truly believed she was doing this in the best interest of her friend Juliet, I might be able to buy her actions a little bit more, but it has never come across that way. It has always come off as completely manipulative. That is, that is true. Hillary knows Kane didn't do this. Right, one hundred percent. So again, I, I don't think that piece of it was necessarily well thought out, and I don't. Uh, I think the character of Hillary will take a major hit on this. So, all right, now let's talk. Now let's talk some real. We're going to talk some real ish. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer as honestly as possible. And I okay. want you to be honest. Okay, I want you to be one hundred million percent honest. Okay. As a Lillian Kane fan, is there a scenario where you, speaking for yourself, not speaking for all Lane fans, not speaking for the audience, speaking for yourself as a strong, mm-hmm. devoted Lillian Kane fan, is mm-hmm. there a scenario where you could see them married to other people? Where that would be okay with you as a, as a viewer? And would it make a difference if when they got married to other people, they were playing it the entire time as, you know Lillian Kane are going to get back together again. You know, I always call it the Gary and Valley and Ewing syndrome. They married right. other people, but you always knew Gary and Valley were the end game. So if right. they separated them by whatever means, and they sort of were playing it as they still want love <clears throat> each other, but they just can't be together right now, would you accept that? If it was told in an organic, well-storyline way, I, I wouldn't necessarily kick it to the curb, but here's the challenge. Um, I don't think that you can necessarily put that in a vacuum, contain it without all the other things that we have watched this particular couple go through all these years and seen things that they've had Kane and Lily do, which are not a part of who the characters are. So um, I haven't I haven't seen I know that it's possible of course it's possible good storytelling is always possible but I haven't seen any investment in wanting to do that I've just seen you know formulaic stories being put on them and then you just kind of move them where they need to be in that moment to get the end result that you're trying to get I don't know if that makes sense no it totally it totally does it's it's you know, I, I, I always call it, I, I always refer to it as, you know, you have a one hat that has a 
a bunch of character names, one hat that has plot points, and you draw one from each and make them match up. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. I, you know, I and that's what it I, feels like the storytelling has been for the two of them all along. Um, you know, I also have to say, I think people will go where there's good storytelling. I, I, regardless of how you choose to to see it, if the storytelling is good, the people will come. And I I I, I still believe that about daytime. Tell I 100%. good stories. I, I completely agree. Um, and and you know that's 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 I that's why I I always 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 say when um, you know when I'm talking to people, I don't ship couples. I don't ship characters. I ship storylines. You right. guys, you know, I freely admit this. Okay, I've been, we started the magazine 20 years ago in 1997. For, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe 10 years before that, I wrote a column uh, for, a, for a newspaper about soaps. Mm-hmm. I have been watching soaps for 40, 45 years, whatever. But I guarantee you that soap fans know the stories better than I do. Because, like, like, you could probably tell me every single beat of Lillian Kane's story. You could tell me their wedding anniversary. You could tell me their second <laughs> wedding anniversary. You could tell me, you know, how many times they've had sex, probably. I, if I'm lucky, well, let's if I'm lucky, I can remember, like, okay, I remember she slept with Joe, and I remember, you know, he pretended to be his dead brother. You know, like, I remember right, those right, all right. things. Because, you know, I... As as much as I hate that we're down to four soaps, in some ways it makes it a little easier in my brain because I no longer have to keep track of 20 shows. I only have to keep track of four. Yes, um, yes. So I freely acknowledge anybody who is a devoted fan of a couple, whether it's Jason and Sam, Hillary and Devon, you know, the, the Lane and uh, the Lane, Lily and Kane, I guarantee you, you know way more about that couple than I do. And I sometimes wonder if that's, if it's helpful being me in that I'm not, you know, because I don't know the couples as well, I don't get caught up in the minutia. I sort of like let it wash over me. Uh, That's what we're doing now. You know know what I mean? (laughs) You know, I personally believe it's possible to do both. I believe it is possible to write good story for the hardcore shippers and the fans of a show who kind of like look at the show more globally um, and don't remember, like you said, the minutia of every character. The challenge is I don't know if anyone um, who's writing the shows or the executives who are leading the shows are willing to invest that time. They have the time to do it. They have the time and their storytelling to do it, but they don't. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time or a show where, you know, how long have you been watching soaps? Oh, since I was a child. Um, Goodness gracious. So it it would be about 40 years. (laughs) Okay, so has there been a time or a show during a particular period that just like, was hitting all the buttons for you. You know, like it was well-written. It was well, the stories made sense. The couples, you you know, you know, there's always going to be some things you don't like. Yes. But overall, like what is your favorite period of time on any soap? I think I must say the 80s. Any particular show? Uh, it would have been Days of Our Lives. 
Okay, so that was sort of, and that was. And I was also aware. I was also a big Luke and Laura fan. But um, my recollection of Days of Our Lives at that time was that they had lots of amazing couples. Um, they took the time to tell story. You knew who these people were. Um, rarely did I think that the the person was acting out of character without there being a, a really good reason. For example, like you were saying, with Julexis, fine, he needs to be controlled by his sister. But for goodness sakes, you don't put a, a knife to her neck and threaten to kill her. You go pretend you're in love with someone else. But here's the um, interesting thing. My recollection of Days in the 80s, and it's probably, I've never really been a huge Days fan. I've been an in-and-out Days fan. You know, there are periods right. I like and periods right. I don't. Um, but right. my recollection of, of Days in the 80s, as I recall it, very romantic, very big super couples, you know, like lots of super right. couples. But also uh-huh. lots of really over-the-top silly plots, you know, lots of like oh, mind yeah. control well, was... taking over the world. And to me, like that is sort of almost exactly what we were just talking about is, you know, you can have a great couple like Lily and Kane, but if their plots aren't good, like, like those plots to me were so, I mean, I guess they were part of what we watched at the time, but you look back <laughs> at them now and you're like, what? Wait, they're going around exactly. gathering prisms, you know? <laughs> exactly. Because, you know, but I think you bring up, I think you bring up an excellent point in that, the, the stories that were told in the 80s aren't going to work now. Right. Those big, campy, over-the-top stories don't work in 2017. But what are the stories that would work in 2017? Right. I exactly. mean, if you said it yourself, yes, there may be only, you know, five or ten types of stories that are that are ever told in any Thing that you're watching, a movie, a television show, but you need to take that story and you need to bend it just a little bit. So you're coming at it from a different angle and you're telling it from today's point of view. I do not believe the soaps are doing that. And I believe I agree. I, I, I think they're not modernizing. I think they no, are they're not, not treating the audience as if they are them. smart. I agree. Yeah. I wrote there's a um, there's a new book out. Um, it's called Soap Opera Confidential, and, and it's uh, the the editors of the book went to a bunch of different people and asked them to write essays. So it's basically an essay book about soap operas. And they mm-hmm. came to both me. They came to both me and my uh, office mate and best friend Charlie, and they asked us each to write yes. something. And he wrote about I think he wrote about Ryan's Hope in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, because that's like his go-to era. He loved Ryan's Hope in the 80s. And I wrote okay. a piece called I wrote a piece that I firmly believe in, and it's called Luke and Laura. You know how Luke and Laura killed daytime, and it sort of comes down to this: Luke and Laura. You know they were the number one show. Thirty million people were watching every day. <laughs> yes, yes. And and they they were wildly popular. They went on this adventure and they saved the world and the Ice Princess and you know and and they fell in love and they were dancing at Wyndham's and the and the wall of Jericho between them and would it come down and would they sleep together? Big epic romance as well as this big, epic, you know, adventure story. Well, yes. I believe that in the years since then, ever since then, really, it started about two years later, 
soaps have tried to recreate that magic. But what they have done is they focused on the big, over-the-top plots and forgot that the reason that Luke and Laura worked, we didn't give a crap about the Ice Princess. We didn't give a crap no. about, you know, we were watching a couple fall in love. We were watching yes. this amazing love story that just happened to have a wacky story as a backdrop. You know, that helped that for is some correct. people. But, and, and ever since then, soaps have focused on the plot over the emotion of the couple. And that, to that me, is, correct. is the thing that has been the biggest problem over the years for soaps. And that is, and that is, that is also the problem. And, you know, try as you might uh, to create that in a couple, the couple doesn't – you can't put two people together and create a Luke and Laura. It just, no. It's something that kind of happens uh, organically. <laughs> yes, you can hope. But if your goal is to put this actor and this actress together and try and recreate Luke and Laura, you're going to fail every time because that was just something that came out of Jeannie Francis and Anthony Geary. And to do that, you have to be willing to just let to in, to introduce your characters and just let them kind of go around until, until it connects start. between them and yep. another person on canvas. Chemistry testing. I love chemistry testing. I love when you bring a new character on the canvas, and instead of telling me this character is meant for this act, this character, you play with everybody and say, hey, where does this person fit? Listen, I have to wrap up the show. Okay. I have to wrap up the show, but I want to thank you so much because, you know, for me, this show, and, and any really podcast that I listen to, this show is never better than when it basically feels like I am sitting on the phone talking to somebody. Like I'm just sitting on the phone having a conversation with my friend who watches soap operas. That is to me when you're having a fun, great conversation and you really gave us that tonight. And I really, really, I'm so grateful that you called because it also illustrates the point that sometimes people have little tips on Twitter because it's hard to communicate (laughs) in 150. It's hard to communicate. I mean, you guys don't know this, but I mean, unless you followed it, but we were like, we were giving each other some shade earlier. We were seriously like, I was like, get the hell out of here. She was like, oh, you're a jerk. You know, because that's what happens on Twitter because you're trying to, you're trying to discuss big things in 150 characters, and it's impossible. But when you sit down and you actually have a conversation and you're like, oh, yeah, I totally agree with you about that. I think this is different, and I don't think we think the same thing about this. But mo- for the most I part, do. we agree. And I love I that. Do. I'm so, and, and so that's glad what, you called. So I, I knew that I had uh, made you angrier earlier. and um, Oh, no, not I really. Did, I not did really. I mean, honestly, I tried really hard not to get angry. I, okay, I, I annoyed you. Are worse. <laughs> yes, you annoyed me. You were a good pet. You were good. But, I, but again, I, and I, I said this also on Twitter, I do not believe that I am, you know, I am not one of those people who's like, you have to see it my way or hit the highway because I love having the discussion. I love having the debate. I love, right. you know, I, I, am not, I am not a shepherd and you are not my sheep. I am a soap opera fan who just happens to have a great job where I get to talk right. about soaps all day. Right. But that does right. not make me right. Sometimes it does. Sometimes I'm totally right and everybody else is wrong. But, you know, I, but not, not, not usually. But, no, I'm but really, not too I'm, often, no. I'm well, again, so, I just so, wanted so to call in and, call. and thank you so much for taking my call and thank you so much for um, engaging in this conversation with me when you realized <laughs> who I was. Anytime. And you are I welcome hope to call that anytime. you and I have made amends. 
Okay. Oh, 100%. 100%. And you are welcome to call anytime. I really I enjoyed the conversation. You know your crap. You know, you're, you're, you're a good conversationalist. You give as good as you get, and that's what makes for an interesting show. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I agree. Well, thank you so much for your time, Richard, and you have a wonderful evening. You too. Okay. Uh, I want to thank I want to thank everybody out there in the audience for sticking with us. Uh, apparently, if you're still listening, you're listening to the recorded version and not the live version, which went off the show about a half hour ago. Um, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. As I always say, the show is only as good as our callers, and we had some really, really great callers tonight. If it weren't for them, it would just be me talking. And as much as I clearly like the sound of my own voice, given that I, you know, spent all day tweeting and you guys, for some reason, pay attention to anything I say. I much prefer when there's somebody else to talk with. Hopefully, if you enjoyed yourself, you'll come back next week and uh, you will perhaps consider calling in and joining the conversation. I should also tell you that over this weekend, I'm going to try and plan a weekend show because I've had people tell me that they can't really join in and call during the week because, you know, maybe they have families or lives, things that I don't have. So we're going to try and schedule a show for this weekend. And uh, keep an eye on my Twitter feed at Soaps and Depth ABC or Soaps and Depth CBS or my personal feed at How Root View, and I'll keep you updated. The easiest way to find out about shows, of course, is to follow the page at blogtalkradio slash tune in tomorrow. Until next week, um, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for calling. And uh, remember, because it soaks, what do you got to do? Tune in tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.